And like I said a moment ago, um, I see Jay, and I've always seen Jay, uh, as an entrepreneur. And you, you've heard that. He is an entrepreneur of the, of the highest kind, one that's taking risks for the gospel. Uh, the gospel that the Apostle Paul said is the power of God unto salvation to every person who believes and receives it. And so we're starting a series this morning, and this morning we're going to be talking about the mission. Next week we're going to be talking about the passion of an entrepreneur for Christ. We're going to be talking about the plan. We're going to be talking about the goal in upcoming weeks, but today it's the mission. Uh, Said a few moments ago, the definition of an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur is someone who sees an unmet need and then steps out of their comfort zone to make it their mission to meet that need. I don't know if any of you ever watch Shark Tank on television. How many have seen Shark Tank? All right. These courageous people who have an entrepreneurial idea, they've seen a need somewhere, and so they want to come and pitch their idea to these five super successful entrepreneurs who are sort of seated there as a panel, and they really are sharks. If you've seen that show, uh, a good number of the people that come out there with their ideas, they get chewed up and spit back out. (laughs) Uh, Some of them make it, but the thing is, it's it's a show about entrepreneurs, people who see a need, and want to step up and do something about it. Well, Jesus identified the greatest unmet need there is when he said these words, written down by his follower, the Apostle John, in John 3.16. You know these words really well. But Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not, and here's our word, perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus said that people who have not come to faith in him, they are perishing. Now, we're going to come back and explain what that word means in just a moment, but here's the the central question in this message this morning, and this this is a question that set out to every single one of us in this room who is a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're here today and you have not yet become a follower of Jesus Christ, you're just sort of searching this whole thing out. Well, we're grateful to have you here and want you to just listen in on this. But here's a question for every person who has become a follower of Jesus Christ. First, two questions. How many people do you know who have not yet come to believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. People that you maybe are, who are part of your family, people that you work with on a daily basis, people in your neighborhood, people that you're, you work out with over at the health club. How many, how many people do you know who do not have faith in Jesus Christ? And just sort of let their names come up on the screen for a second. Here's the second question. What are you doing about that? What are you doing about that? Because if you're a follower of Jesus, your first and foremost mission, your first and foremost reason for being on this planet is to represent him and to share him with those around you who have not yet come to faith in him as their savior. 
That's why the church is called to be the most entrepreneurial group of people on the planet because we are the people who see the greatest need in, in the people all around us. And we're called to step out of our comfort zones. We're called to step forward with a passion and with a mission in our heart to reach out and influence people all around us toward Jesus Christ, toward the gospel. And why is that? Well, it comes back to what Jesus said. It's because without faith in Jesus, every person we know is perishing. Now, what did Jesus mean by that word perishing? Well, the word refers to something that was designed for a specific purpose, but instead is being ruined. Let me give you an example. All the years I was growing up, there was a house about a mile and a half from where we lived that stood empty. There was no life. There were, the lights were out. It was dark. It was uninhabited. And I heard Dad and Mom talk about that house just a handful of times as we were growing up. And they would say something about there was a young couple that had either bought or built that house right around 1950. They had a dream to live in that house and to be a married couple that, you know, filled that house with love and peace and joy. And they planned to fill that house with kids and laughter and, you know, light and all the kinds of things that you want a house to become when it becomes a home. But something happened that broke that relationship. And so this house, it was a two-story house. It was a really nice house. It stood empty for about 50 years. I don't know why they didn't resell it, but that house stood empty for 40, 50 years. And we drove by that, by that house all the time. And you could see over the years, it was starting to paint, was starting to chip. I mean, it, finally, it was, the boards were starting to fall off, and finally it fell down. The purpose of that house was never fulfilled. It stood silent, empty, and dark. In other words, it perished. And this is what Jesus says is happening to every person who has not come to faith in him. Every single person you and I meet was created to be a dwelling place of God, filled with the light of God, the joy of God, the life of God, but we're surrounded instead with people that are perishing in darkness. And Jesus goes on to tell us just how deep that darkness is. In verse 19 of John chapter 3, this is what Jesus says. He says, this is the verdict. The verdict's in on humanity. Light has come into the world, and that's, Jesus is referring to himself there. He's, you know, he's the one who said, I am the light of the world. So light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. I think, in other words, Jesus is saying that, spiritually speaking, people have become nocturnal creatures. They like living under the cover of darkness because God's presence will expose something deep inside that they are guarding, something that will make them feel guilty if they ever step out into the light. But you know what? That would be the best thing that could happen because that guilt 
that comes from stepping out into the light where God can expose the heart always points to the problem that needs to be dealt with. And what is that problem in the human heart? Well, there's a willful resistance in people toward God. And it's what the Apostle Paul called in Romans chapter 5, it's what he called the sin, singular. He wasn't talking about sins right there. He was talking about the sin, the root sin from which all other sins that have ever existed, they come out of this root. What is that? The root sin is self-will. It's my will instead of God's will. It's I want to build my own life with my own ideas, my own rules, and I don't need God's help. And this goes all the way back to what the scriptures call the fall, the fall of humanity. It's explained in the opening pages of the book of Genesis where our parents made that decision initially, originally to resist God and do their own thing, build a world without God, self-will. And that self-will just passed right on down through human nature, passed right on down through the human, the, the, the family tree. But Jesus is telling us here in this passage that God the Father so loved the world that he sent his eternal son into the world to die for that one sin and all others that have come from it. Jesus took that root sin of rebellion and, and distancing and divorcing God. He took that and took the blame for it for every human being when he hung upon that cross so that we could be forgiven and we could be cut off from that old root. And we could be reconnected to a brand new root system. And that root system, that new root system is nothing less than Jesus himself. Jesus comes into our life. And his life begins, is, the sort, is, the, is the new root system that begins to change us from the inside out. And make us into a new person. Turning us back into that person that God designed us to be. Away from ruin to become what God created us to be. Uh, how many of you have experienced this resistance to God in your life? I would say it ought to be close to 100%. <laughs> I have. Uh, I remember in 10th grade, uh, sitting at a table in biology class with my friends. And I remember thinking that day, uh, I wish God would just back off a little bit. Let, give me my space. I, I just want to be me. I want to discover who Jim Nichols is. I want to be me. But you know, I was swallowing the biggest lie that's ever been perpetrated to think that I can find out who I am apart from the God who created me and gave me my purpose. It's impossible. We only find out who we are by knowing God first, by coming to Christ. Otherwise, we're, we're being ruined, but it's all based upon a lie. Well, I knew a lot about Jesus. I'd grown up here in the gospel. I went to church. My parents took me to church every week. And I knew that passage of Scripture from Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, where it says, where the, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If a person will just open their heart, if you'll just open your heart, I will come in. 
and we'll share a meal together. We'll do life together. We'll have a relationship. I knew that, but I didn't want that. I didn't want Jesus in my life. I wanted to do what I thought I wanted to do. And this perishing condition is really serious because it becomes a permanent condition. It becomes a permanent hardening of the heart against God unless a person does open that door and allow the Lord to come in. It'll lead to an eternal separation from God. So I'm describing the people that you and I work with, maybe other family members, people that don't know Jesus. They're in a very serious condition that can become a permanent condition unless the light of Christ shines into their heart, unless they open that door. It's like C.S. Lewis said. He made this statement that at the end, when we stand before God, there will be those who bow down before God, worshiping Him, saying, Thy will be done. That's in the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done. But there will also be others to whom God will say, Thy will be done. To those that stubbornly persisted in doing their own thing, hardening their hearts against God, God will finally give them their wishes. And they will walk off into an eternity still resisting him. And that is the ultimate perishing. Jesus referred to it as outer darkness. People that live in darkness now, but given the opportunity to respond to the light, cling to the darkness, will finally, they will enter into what Jesus called the outer darkness from which there is no return. And so this is a serious, serious condition, this word perishing. The Lord wants to call us to himself so he can restore us, restore in us the image of God in which we were created. But when we resist him, what we're really doing is we're, we're, being, we're being remade in the image of Satan. And we're drifting further and further away from the humanity and the kind of humanity that God created us to know. So here's, here's the point, though. You and I are with people every single day who are resisting God's knocking on the door of their heart, just like you and I used to resist him when he knocked on the door of our heart. But God has strategically placed you next to that person or in the circle of those persons for this reason, so that you can so love them just like the Father in heaven loves them, just like Jesus Christ loves them, and pray for them, and then begin to show them genuine love and kindness. And when we do that, what's happening is the knocking of the Lord on their heart is intensifying. That knocking is getting louder because of, your, because of the presence of Jesus in proximity to their life flowing through you. It causes that knocking to get louder. And ultimately, the possibility that they're going to pull that door open and receive Christ in. But absent your presence, 
most likely they're not going to hear the Lord knocking on their door. You know, the Father sent, the Father is a sender, um, and he does it out of love. The Father, Heavenly Father is an entrepreneur of all entrepreneurs. He saw the need, he steps up, he takes the risk, he gave everything he had, put, put it all on the line, he sent his son into the world to redeem every lost human being. The scripture says God is not willing that any person perish. Second Peter chapter 3. Not willing that any person perish. But he not only sent Jesus into the world, but then the Father and Son sent the Holy Spirit into the world. And when the Holy Spirit came into the world, he came to live in us and to fill us with power and passion to go into our world to send us. So, so we're going to learn. Jesus said, after the, the Gospel of John, 40 times in the Gospel of John, almost two times a chapter, it refers to Jesus as being sent. And then after his resurrection, when he, insert, he was standing in the circle of his, his, his disciples, he said to them in, in John chapter 20, verse 21, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. And we're sent into the world uh, you know, we never, um, we, we have to pray that we never lose that sense of, of our sentness. Uh, it's very easy to do that, though. We live in a society um, where it's easy to see the church as another uh, place for the distribution of goods. We live in a consumer society. So what do we do? If I need some clothes, I will go to Kohl's. Or I'll, usually what I do is I send Jill <laughs> because I don't like to shop. And uh, that's one of the issues Jill and I work on a lot is because uh, she ends up taking a lot of the clothes she buys me back because they don't fit. So she prefers that I be there. But anyway, that's a different sermon, I guess. But uh, anyway, uh, but if, we need, if I need some clothes, I go to Kohl's. If I need something else, I go over to Target. If I need some food, I go to Chapin's or Jewel. Uh, we, because they, dis- they distribute the goods. I have a need, an unmet need, so I go there. But the problem, where this breaks down in terms of the church in society is the people who have the deepest unmet need, a need for God, the last place they're going to go is to a church. They don't want to go to church because they have this basic resistance to God working inside of them. They want to stay out of the light. They don't want to come into the light. So, we must be sent. Jesus, we we take the church into the world. We go to them and bring the light. Now, salvation is a relational thing. And you're taking time with people to build a relationship with lost people, with people that do not know Christ, those in your life that don't know him, you're taking time to invest in a relationship with them is the precursor and probably the only precursor to their ever coming to have a relationship with Jesus Christ because they will see Jesus in you first before they're going to come to Jesus in most cases. And I would venture to say that most of the people in this room who know Christ came because there was a precursor, a person in your life with whom you had a relationship 
who knew Christ, who had an influence on you. And that's the way it's worked from the days of the apostles. That's the way it will always work until Jesus comes again. We can have a wonderful church with wonderful things going on inside, but the people who don't know Jesus in our community, they're never going to come to check it out. Those of us who know him will come, and yes, let's, we need to, but we've got to go to them. We did a demographic study of our area. Oh, this has been a few years back. Uh, of Lamont, Lockport, and Homer Glen, three sort of immediate communities. And what we discovered was that uh, 49% of the people in, in just our own area on the U.S. census said they have no connection whatsoever with any religious organization. 49, that's almost 50%. And then we sort of extrapolated on top of that because there are many people who maybe have a sort of a quasi-relationship with the church and show up maybe at Christmas and Easter. But for all practical purposes, it's very possible, perhaps likely, they do not know Jesus as their Savior. They, they, don't ha- they have not come to faith in Christ. So it's, po- it's very easy to say that in our area, 65 to 70% of the people that we meet that drive across our intersection, they do not know Christ. They do not have faith in Christ, which means... They are perishing. They're perishing. The responsibility of the churches of of Lamont, ours and every other church, is to go into, to be sent, and to build relationships with those who do not know him. You know, as I was thinking about this message, you know, we do water baptism services here about four or five times a year, and those are wonderful. Those are excellent. The... Think about the people that you work with, that you're going to be working with this coming week. Those people, the Lord wants, he would love to have them become a part of an upcoming water baptism service here. Just imagine how great that would be. Can you go to work tomorrow thinking about this particular person over here, this person over here? How wonderful it would be, what it would be like if somewhere down the road, that person on a, on a day we do a water baptism stood up in front of the church and told the story of who they were before they met Christ and now who they are and who they are becoming now that they have received him. How astounding that would be. I believe that's how we ought to go to work every day. Envisioning that. Uh, now, you might be thinking, well, absolutely impossible because you don't know the people I work with, <laughs> okay? Uh, you might be saying, well, some of those people, they're a million miles away from God. God is the last thing they're interested in. Or you might say, uh, some of those people are just flat-out vulgar. I mean, th- no, they haven't got a religious bone in their body or in their soul. Uh, some of them are atheists. They don't even believe in God. A, 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 a couple of them are just flat-out angry with God, bitter. And one of the pe- people is the meanest person, I swear, on the planet Earth, most ornery I've ever met. But you see, that's the point. That's what Jesus was talking about. That's what perishing does to you. That's what perishing means. But God can take any perishing person. I don't care how far down, how, how, far, how far gone they may appear to be. God can take, by his grace and his mercy, 
any perishing person. And that light can pierce their heart and they can be transformed. They can become followers of Christ. And the greatest missionary of the church is example number one, (laughs) the Apostle Paul. Even after Paul was converted, you can read in Acts chapter 9, even after he was converted, the churches didn't believe it. They wouldn't receive him. And he had to go back home to his hometown in in, uh, Tarsus until Barnabas went years later and, and found him and brought him back. So God can change hearts. So we move among people that have this basic resistance to God. But you know what? We would expect that. We would expect it. So as we close this morning, I just want to, I want to set out for us, once again, our mission as missionaries for Jesus. Jay is a missionary. God is using him. God is strategically placing him in the inner cities, an increasing number of inner cities in this country, and, and God is doing wonderful things. Jay's a missionary, but so is every single person in this room a missionary. Every single one of us, we are a missionary. We go to our workplace. We move among family members in our neighborhood. God strategically has placed each of us where we are to be the light shining there, to build those relationships with people around us. Uh, So, here's the definition of our mission. To show genuine love and kindness to the people in our daily lives as we pray for an appropriate opportunity to have conversation with them about Jesus and or to invite them to come to church. And sometimes one of the others of those can come first. Sometimes a conversation about Jesus comes first. Sometimes... It's an invitation to come to church where they're going to hear Jesus talked about. It can be either one of those things. Uh, But that is our mission, just in a nutshell, to make it a simple statement. So will you be God's entrepreneur, seeing the need, taking the risk, stepping out to build those relationships through kindness and love toward an opportunity when it's appropriate to share with that person the good news of Christ or invite them to come and hear about that good news here in this room. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful this morning for your grace. We're thankful, Lord, for your word. And we're thankful, Lord Jesus, that you came to each of us when our hearts were hardened against you. You put people in our lives that cared about us. You put people in our lives that, that shared you with us. And Lord, we may have initially resisted that. But Father, we're thankful that that word became like a seed inside of our hearts. And here we are today knowing you. And now, Father, we just want to reproduce that. We want to go back into our worlds, Lord, and back among the people that we are with day by day. And Lord, we pray that more than ever before, you will go before us and by the power of your Holy Spirit, give us opportunities, Lord, many opportunities to share Christ, first through influence and love, through conversation, and then, Lord, maybe even leading that person to Christ or, or inviting them to come and be part of a gathering like this where they can, they can experience your presence and, and, and listen and hear the gospel. So, Father... 
We thank you for the great opportunity, the great privilege we have of being on mission with you in our broken, broken world. We thank you for it, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.